All right, welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I am your host, Justin Oliver, here with Dane Lee. Uh, last episode, we talked about you know preparation when it comes to your fitness, and we touched on that a lot. Today, we're going to talk more on preparation when it comes to your recovery, um, what all that entails, some misconceptions of what recovery actually is. Uh, we're going to talk about muscle soreness, kind of what that means, and then <laughs> the steps you should be taking to do better on your recovery, uh, things you need to focus on, people you may need to see, stuff like that. So uh, I'm going to let Dane kind of kick it off with uh, his topics on recovery here. One of the most important things that I see happening is the misunderstanding about what recovery is. Mm-hmm. And so just like we talked about last time, it's like remove that word and replace it with anything within the fitness industry and it's basically synonymous there's like the misconception around strength the misconception around conditioning the misconception around like general fitness around nutrition all of it um and there are various levels on what you can do for recovery but in the same way that someone could say that they are taking care of nutrition someone could say i'm taking care of recovery and you look at them and say all right what are you doing? Well, I'm eating well. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, what does that, like, mean? What does that even mean? It's well. like, well, I'm, I'm taking and, care of recovery. And, and a lot of times you'll, you'll see this all the time. Like, yeah, I'm eating well. All right, well, what are you eating? And you find out, okay, they're eating their vegetables. Um, they're eating what they consider the clean foods. And that equates to 1,500 calories a day. And they are a uh, you know 250-pound man yeah. <laughs> trying to power lift or trying to weight lift or something like that. Or, um, you know, these... Uh, a lot of women come in and say, yeah, I, I eat clean. Well, what what does that mean? Right. What, what exactly are you doing? Because one person's eating clean and another person's eating clean. They're two different things. Different. But then also, what are your actual macros? What are you actually eating in your day? Because you could tell me you're eating clean and then I find out you're eating 40 grams of protein a day. You know? Mm-hmm. So, or, you know worst case we've seen is there's people that come in I'm eating clean oh okay so like what are your macros coming out to because they are tracking and you find out it's very low protein and very low carb and you know some moderate fat in there but that's not getting you anywhere right so So, last time when we were talking we said like the two big pillars of recovery not the only just the two biggest ones are sleep and nutrition like if you mess either one of those up it doesn't really matter what else you do Mm -hmm. but the idea of messing it up is a really big conversation. It's like, well, I'm getting enough sleep. Again, what does that mean? Are you getting seven and a half hours of sleep because you like you go to bed at the same time? Are you going to bed at different times? What's your quality of sleep? Like that's my favorite one. Is like, are you actually tracking the quality of your sleep? Yeah, you can sleep 13 hours in the night, but doesn't mean that the quality of it was good. Yeah, you're waking I, up six, seven, eight times yeah, as you're going through. I, I've been there where, um, you know, before I, I end up finding out I had sleep apnea after years of sleep on and off and and when i was first diagnosed with it it wasn't even like i you know now i weigh about 240 Mm -hmm. i was only like 200 pounds you know so it's not like just an overweight thing or an over muscular you know person kind of thing or a big guy thing or whatever it happens and people are smaller too um and it was funny because there was times i'm like man i'm you know spent 11, 12 hours in bed. How do I not feel good? It's like maybe I'm getting too much, you know, bed yeah. rest or whatever. And come to find out when I take this test, 
that my sleep quality was poor. I think I woke up something like 18 times in the hour or something like that. So, so you were in bed for 11 hours and you might have gotten four and a half hours of sleep yeah. in total yeah. from that. But again, I'm a huge advocate for it. Like you have to track it so you can quantify. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's the same thing. Like you have to track macros if you really want to understand what your nutrition looks like. You have to track your programming if you want to understand what your strength and conditioning looks like. The sleep and the recovery aspect is no different. Yeah. And if you're not tracking your sleep, this happened. I did an experiment where I was like, I'm going to get nine hours of sleep every night for a month. I'm just going to see how I feel, see if it actually makes a difference on it. Um, and I started wearing an aura ring when I was going through. I was very consistent on when I would go to bed. I'd go to bed probably about 9 30, 10 o'clock, and I would wake up at uh, 6 30, 7 o'clock. Like, uh, that's when I have a sunrise alarm clock that I use and. Uh, I make sure that I like the phone across the room and everything. So like I am up yeah. at that time. Yeah. I'm forcing myself. As much as it sucks, I'm forcing myself like to get out of bed. Um, and when I looked at the sleep data, I was like, all right, it tells you how long were you in bed and how long were you actually asleep. I was in bed for nine hours. Mm-hmm. And there were nights where I'd get six hours of sleep. Yeah. Because you're waking up multiple times. You don't know that unless you're tracking it somehow. And some of it, it tells you like what your deep sleep versus what your light sleep and what your REM cycles are. And there'd be times where like you had 45 minutes of REM in nine hours. Like, (laughs) holy shit. You know, and then the other day, uh, I slept for seven and a half hours. And I looked at it and I had three hours of deep sleep. Yeah. In seven and a half hours. I was like, I don't know what I did right. Yeah. But you can't have that conversation until you're tracking it so you have some kind of number on it. Yeah. And so when people say, well, I, I sleep pretty well, again, what does that mean? Yeah. Do you understand what you're saying when you say, you know, I'm sleeping really well? And yeah. that's one of the big misconceptions about recovery is like the depth of tracking information uh, about those two pillars without getting into the other aspects of recovery. Um, because if you're not looking at those fluctuations, it's hard to have the next couple levels of conversation, which I think are really interesting, of how is your training affecting your sleep? How do you need to stay, start making modifications? Because um, the other thing that is really important talking about the athlete mindset is understanding that your recovery needs are going to vary a lot throughout a year. How much sleep you need is really dependent on what the training is like, you know, outside of life factors, because that varies too, and you have to take that into consideration. But the amount of sleep that you're going to need while you're in comp prep is very different than off season, um, uh, very different from even like a high volume and a hypertrophy phase. Yep. And you need to understand all those. And you need to understand when your CNS, you know, takes a shit. Right. Why your sleep is affected from that. Yeah. How do you start to mitigate that? How do you mm-hmm. take that back under control? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be able to look at how the body's being affected um, from week to week as you're going through the training. Because week one is not the same as week four. Like assuming you're on a four-week cycle, like yeah. week four is your deload. Assuming that's the case, your sleep may be very different during the deload than it was in week one and week two. And unless you have that conversation with someone who understands it, you've lost power in your ability to like own your recovery and if and if you're if you're tracking this stuff something you'll notice i i noticed myself personally is like 
sometimes getting into you know whether I'm on a three to one, uh, you know three working weeks in a deload or four working weeks deload. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, in that third week, I'll start to notice sometimes some sleep disturbances, depending on like again what phase I'm in. But if you notice, and, and this might help some people recognize it, that you'll get through that third week. And then about two or three days later after that third week, just before you're entering your deload or maybe at the start of that deload, you can get a ton of sleep and you'll still feel groggy. Yeah. And you'll still feel kind of low and low energy and the weights might feel a little heavier and stuff. And that's that that recovery curve that mm-hmm. you know, you're always speaking on, you throw videos out on, um, that a lot of people don't kind of comprehend and they don't pay attention to it. Right. You know, and some people are, oh man, why do I feel like shit during the deload? Well, at the beginning of a deload, your your what was your last training day? Probably three days before that. Mm-hmm. You know, on average, two or three days before that was your last training day of that cycle of the week you're probably pushing the hardest. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite conversations because when you what I do when I track someone's recovery, I look at the cardiovascular recovery or the tax on it how much does it recover I look at the soft tissue uh, tax and I look at the neurological tax mm-hmm. and if you have an idea on how much of a recovery deficit you're in depending on what you're going through for those three different factors it accumulates and they all affect one another in one way or another but it accumulates in, in that third week say you're on that you know three on one deload um you can give someone really good information on what they will be experiencing physiologically and mentally on like to the day mm-hmm. based on what we know about how the body starts to allocate resources for recovery. And you look at what they're going to be going through in deload and say, hey, week three, or I'm sorry, day three of that deload week, this is what you're going to feel physically uh, within the joints, within the muscles. This is what's going to start to happen mentally. This is how long it's going to take to come out of it. This is what you can be doing to help get through it a little bit faster and help to just deal with it in general. And so when you have that conversation with people, it goes from, like you said, why do I feel so terrible during deload? I'm barely doing anything. Like I should feel really good. And it's like, this is your body trying to take care of the past three weeks. Like everything that accumulated, the, all the neurological yeah. fatigue, the muscular fatigue, the cardiovascular fatigue, this is what the body has to do to deal with that. And these are the processes that are going on in order to deal with that. And mo- most people, again, this is where we talk about like, look at all your variables, be in tune with all your variables. Because, you know, if you're going through your training and heading into that deload and you start feeling like that, and your sleep's on point, your nutrition's on point, you followed the program to a T, these effects need to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So it causes adaptation. But at the same time, if your sleep is, you know, three hours, five hours, then I get nine hours, five hours, six hours, all over the place, Mm -hmm. then how are you gonna know, uh, you know, going forward, okay, was that training hard enough to, uh, to cause a stimulus? Was it my sleep was so far off that you know, and you'll see it a lot of times where people just start failing weights all the time, yeah. failing sets that they normally wouldn't. And mm-hmm. that that's a big indicator either one, maybe it is the program and you do need to deload, but your sleep may be off, your nutrition may be off. But when you have all those variables down packed, then you can kind of coordinate and correlate. And like you said, to the day, you almost know like, okay, 
three days post deadlift, two days post deadlift of my heavy week, mm-hmm. I know I can already anticipate how I'm probably going to feel. Right. You know, you start to become more aware of it. So this is something that happened. Uh, Austin is one of the coaches here at the gym. And in his last comp prep, he was about five weeks out, I think, from competition. And he came in and he just had a conversation with me. He's like, my legs have felt dead, like just absolutely shot for the past three weeks. And he was really concerned about, uh, you know, was he going to be able to be ready for competition? And I said, I want you to write out everything that you've done for training for the past four weeks. And we went through and I tallied his score, you know, using the system I came up with. And I showed him like, this is why you feel the way you do. This is how long you're going to feel the way that you do. This is how long it's going to last if, you know, we don't do any additional recovery work. And the the recovery work in that case, because I knew that his like sleep and nutrition was really on point, was like soft tissue work, active recovery work, um, other modalities, etc. I was like, it's going to be this way for another uh, 14 days, approximately. Mm-hmm. That's how long it's going to take the body to physiologically go through the process. If we include the massage work that you and I are currently doing, uh, he was coming to see me once a week. Uh, it's going to bring it down to about 10 days, roughly. And if we start including more things going into it, which at the time, you know, up to that point, wasn't really a necessity because he had so many other things dialed in, it's like it's going to bring it down to say like five days. And it was eye-opening for him because you could see relief in that moment of going, oh, not only is it manageable, here's a plan on how it's manageable. And yes, I'm going to be able to compete. And now I know what to expect over the next you know, five to 10 days and how to program it. And then he can take that information to you as his coach and uh, be able to say, hey, what do I need to adjust as I'm going through if this is the yeah. case? And suddenly... All of that quantification, which some people might seem like a massive headache, actually relieved the headache exactly. and made things so easy moving forward. And, you know, I could speak from experience, you know, if, when we're caught fixing little tweaks or managing little tweaks, managing, I come to you and I say, you know, this is going on in my scap, this is going on in my hip. And it's things that we've hit and repeatedly hit over time. You know, it's not like an, an ongoing constant thing, but you know, we kind of know already, like, all right, if I do this or this, then I'm going to start to feel better within a few days, maybe next day. You know, kind of just depends on what it is. Mm-hmm. But um, if you let those things go forever until they are a serious issue, what people don't understand is you now have to sit there and work with them for maybe six, seven, eight weeks to repair that one issue that if they just would have came in the beginning when it popped up and you guys maintained it, that might have repaired itself and gone away within a week or two, yeah. you know. And how many times have I came in um, when we figured out the whole uh, gun issue to uh, the Theragun to my IT, mm-hmm. you know, whenever I started warming up for squats and if I used it in a short burst for, you know, a couple rounds of uh, whatever, 8 to 10 seconds, that all of a sudden that pinch that I was having sort of went away. Yeah. You know, and, and I've warmed up without it and I've warmed up with it. And we notice that difference mm-hmm. with a the gun. So now I know. If that comes up, I go in. I your tool, yeah. And, and we get rid of it. So. Is it a long-term fix? No, no. but it is. It's. I don't even think of that as like a Band-Aid. Like that mm-hmm. is just another version of, say, a particular stretch that you might need or a particular mm-hmm. warm-up that you might need to get you ready to go through training if that pops up. And then we do, you know, a number of other things outside of it. 
so that you have fewer and fewer moments that it does pop up when you will need the gun. Yeah. But you know that if you start to feel that, like that's your go-to for it. And again, easy conversation. We do a little bit of work. We figure out what it is it that we need to implement, and there you go. And like in your case, with the powerlifting, you have very specific goals and like a purpose to what you're trying to accomplish. And not everybody has that. Yeah. You might have like far uh, lower goals, and I don't mean to diminish them in any ways. Like maybe your goal isn't to squat 700 pounds. Okay. Is your goal just to be more fit? Yes. That doesn't mean you don't still need help with recovery. Exactly. Whether it's, you know, people would say, well, I don't necessarily want to lose weight, but I want to put on more muscle mass. Well, you still need nutrition. Just because your goal isn't to be um, a powerlifter, a weightlifter, or uh, a CrossFit athlete, anything like that, it doesn't mean that you don't still need help from the recovery aspect. Because like we talked about last time, you still have life. And if you want to feel good in your everyday life and not have training and work and everything else like run you down, because training isn't outside stress, like you're adding more stress to the system. Having a gym, we, you know, we see that all the time with, uh, like you said, every year, the nutrition, the programming, the fitness, the, you know, whatever, the recovery. Um, one of the classic things that you'll hear people say, and you, you kind of hear it a little bit more in like commercial gyms and stuff, but it still happens around here where people will say, um, you know, oh, I know, I know how to, I, I know how to lift. Like, I don't need a coach, or oh no, I know my nutrition. I don't, I don't really need a coach, or I know what I'm doing. If you know what you're doing, and again, maybe your goals aren't very high, then why are you probably in the tenth or fifteenth, twentieth percentile within this gym? You're, you know, we're not even talking in the community. Within this gym, you're, you're not even doing anything spectacular. So mm-hmm. if you know programming so well, know nutrition so well then you should be one of, if your goal is to get strong, you should be one of the strongest, most jacked people in here. You know, if you know nutrition and you know, you know, and you have some form of genetics, let's put that out there. Yeah. But a lot of people use that as a, too much of an excuse. But um, still, like you, if you know it so well, then you should move well. We, uh, You know, your nutrition better be on point. You should be one of the fittest, strongest, whatever your goal is. People mm-hmm. just in this gym, we're not even talking in the area or in the state or in the country. You know, so it's it's kind of one of those classic things that we hear. And I'm sure you hear it all the time. Like, oh no, I I know how to recover. I follow, you know, whoever Joe online that puts out these uh, these warm ups and things yeah. like that. And it's it's not to say uh, that that person might not know what the fuck they're talking about either. So, yeah. See, okay, so that brings up a really good other area that moves into the rest of recovery, where doing a proper warm up does not mean that you are going to recover. Doing a proper cool down does not mean you're going to recover. Re- um, recovery isn't just going out on the foam roller right. before your session, after your session. Oh, I'm recovered. That's It's one aspect of it. In the same way that like eating breakfast is not the entirety of nutrition. Mm. So congratulations, you hit one aspect of it. Yeah. Um, okay, now let's look at lunch. Let's look at dinner. Let's look at the snacks in between. What are you having before bed? Let's look at the timing, how much you're having on each one of those. Does it suit you well for your training, for your goals? Like take all of that, once again, translate it into recovery. The warm-up is only one part of it in the same way that having good technique is a part of overall recovery because mm-hmm. if you have bad mechanics and you have bad technique and you're trying to do things outside of your strength realm um, or strength abilities, like that's going to have effect on recovery. Uh, also, what are you doing for the cool down? What are you doing for soft tissue? Are you doing active recovery days? But 
most, well, not active recovery, I take that part out of it. A lot of those are very soft tissue mindset driven. Like, do I feel tight? Do I feel sore? Mm-hmm. And soreness is a terrible indication of overall recovery. But yet, every time you look at a research study, they're only concerned about like muscle soreness. Like, and you and I both know that it is the easiest thing in the world to give someone a workout that will or will not make them sore. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like beat someone into the ground. And yeah. Anyone can do that. And that has no indication on like how good of a workout you gave them. Mm. You could go do, um, I, and if I mess up numbers, call me out on it, but you could go do like 90% doubles and do a couple sets of that. You're probably not going to be that sore. Why? Because it's a really low load overall in the muscular. It's a massive neurological load. Mm. It, so, it just, yeah, it just depends on how, probably for, for what I would say is how fatigued you are coming into that yeah. already. Um, cause that's something I was actually, before we start talking about that, going to touch on is like, you know, for me, if I go out, I'm in off season getting into this volume, this volume makes me sore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the amount of reps, the amount of overall volume makes me sore. Yeah. But when I get into kind of that late off season, just before a prep, it's not so much in getting into prep. It's not so much a soreness anymore. It's, you know, the nervous system fatigue. I can feel when that happens. Okay. Maybe I need to do extra, little extra mobility. I'm a little like sluggish getting warmed up and stuff um my power can diminish you know if i if my nervous system tax and all yeah. that but i'm not walking around like it's not hard to walk down the steps because my quads are so sore do you yeah. know what i mean it's you know stretching back my pecs i can feel how sore they are when you get into that like you said it's it's more nervous system driven and it's not so much of breaking down fibers constantly because you're not adding in that that those that extra volume and reps so in that case someone could look at you and say wow you're really recovered because you're not sore and you would say no that's utter bullshit yeah. because i'm yeah. really tired yeah I, I you know you go out and something you taking a warm-up weight that feels 100 pounds heavier you're fucking tired yeah yeah you're you're not recovered fully yet so and if the only indication that you're going to use for recovery when doing things like massage like chiropractic like something like foam relate or the theragun is how it makes you feel in relation to soreness like increase or decreasing that soreness that's a terrible measurement mm-hmm. so it, the better measurement is coming from trying to quantify the overall process and uh you could do things like hrv to take a look at it you could do something as simple as uh like a dynamo dynamometer grip test mm-hmm. and like tracking that as you're going through there's another one that's called a tap test where you just like you sit there and count the number of times that you can tap your finger on the right and left because it looks at um, the fine motor control mm-hmm. and the speed of that innervation from those ones. Um, then I think one of the other ones is like a vertical jump. Vertical jump, yeah. Because and, you know the overall level of explosiveness mm-hmm. uh, and how quickly you can produce that force. Yeah. Um, so you have other measurements along that way that look more at the CNS fatigue as opposed to just DOMS. Yeah. And if measuring the decrease in DOMS was like an absolute, if that was the gold standard on it, then Tylenol would be one of the best ways to recover in all of history. It's just like, here, take this, and yeah. you're going to feel less, and therefore you're recovered. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it doesn't work that way. What I wish that people would have a, a more open mind to is that movement itself at the right level 
and at the right time is one of the absolute best ways to recover. Um, why? Because it increases blood flow, which brings nutrients to muscles in a, a systemic manner, and it helps to move lymphatic system and the inflammation that comes from the byproducts that the body is you know, creating in the process mm-hmm. of healing damage to those different areas. Um, it has a sedating effect to the sympathetic nervous system, and all of us, basically at any point in time, get strung out from one reason or another, and anything that can you know, decrease vagal tone and bring us down to a more parasympathetic state, which is rest mm. and digest, is going to be beneficial. Yeah. Going for a walk does that. Mm. Um, wait, wait, wait. You know, from my experience too, um, from times of being, you know, in the hospital or whatever, coming out of there of, of kind of, you know, bed rest type thing is that um, your conditioning as well, like it might seem really dumb to take some 10, 15, 20 minute walks but that's going to help or just stay moving throughout your day. That's going to help your overall conditioning. A lot. Yeah. That small, minute amount over time is yeah. going to help your conditioning. Um, and again, from being on bed rest, the first thing that when I come out of there, it, the lungs, like trying to breathe in yeah. my workouts is tough. Yeah. You know, and it's not that I'm, you know, sure there might be some fatigue from whatever happened or, you know, or whatever, but um, if you notice a lot of times from any time you've been in extended bed rest or you've just sat around too much and been a lazy ass, yeah. that that's something that happens that your cardiovascular system kind of takes a shit a little bit. It's And that and that kind of goes back to, and I don't want to correlate this in, I don't want to get too far off topic here, but that kind of goes back to like your VO2 max, it doesn't take very long for it to start to dissipate. No, four days. Yeah, and that's why you see these, um, again, distance runners, cyclists, like the people that need... Uh, high VO2 maxes and people that um, you know sprinters like anyone who who's working on that pure cardio output that's why you see they constantly kind of work and they they take rest days Mm -hmm. but it's not as dramatic as someone who lifts who can maintain that strength level for 7 10 14 days depending on you know a lot of different things we won't get too off topic on that but at some point like because those are really fun yeah conversations Um, Did a lot of tests on those in, in college, so it's yeah, it's a good topic. Uh, where, where were we? Something with. So what happens when we get off track? Yeah, because <laughs> so, uh, my mind started oh, going shit, along we, that route. I was like, oh, we can talk about this. Yeah. It's like, oh, we won't go too far off topic. It's like, oh, I don't remember. Um, do, I I have no idea. Well, moving on. yeah, <laughs> moving on. Now. We'll move on. Maybe I'll remember as we're coming back to it. Um, so one of the earlier things that we mentioned is like, if you have different goals, you might not need to implement like all of those different recovery strategies. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary. Yeah. Um, you might not have to sit there and have a conversation where you talk about like, what is your circadian rhythm? When do you have to go to bed? When you should be waking up? When should you be having caffeine? When do you have to have cut off? Like all those things. The like, circadian rhythm, especially I know when you did your seminar here, yeah. a lot of people were mind blown by that, of how that works. Yeah. It's, I mean, you could look at the 24-hour cycle. You can look at the weekly, the monthly, the yeah. annual. It's amazing yeah. how it happens. And when you explain to somebody that if you adjust when you go to bed and when you wake up, if you can, like there are a lot of like social, cultural factors involved yeah. in the and like family factors. Like you might not be able to adjust mm-hmm. to yours. But if you can make small accommodations, it is a, like no pun intended, night and day difference on how you're going to feel. Yeah. Like when you have caffeine, when you don't, the weekly one is how I've based my entire recovery yeah. program off of like looking at how your body's affected on certain days with that. Yeah. But you could use that 
for someone who's not even working out. Yep. Like if you just want to feel better when you're at work hmm. or you know throughout the week when you're with your family and you want to get more stuff done at home or like how you feel when you're you know with your kids or with your spouse or whatever like you can use it for that and then you can also take it and expand on it and say all right I'm going to work out twice a week and maybe work out twice a week cuz you go for a run or a bike ride or a walk you can still use it it's very very malleable in that sense and then you can take that same information and like we have a conversation for about an hour or two hours or so and we say all right this is what your training looks like for the next six weeks here are all the factors that are involved in it here's everything i think you should be doing and if you do at least 50 percent of it you're going to feel a lot better mm-hmm. um and you so you can take it all the way from the elite level down to the person who's not even really working out at all and yeah people's minds are blown when yeah. you do that with it because almost everybody when they look at that, find something that they have been able to relate to, but have never been able to put their finger on. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened to me. Like there was uh, the book, The Power of When by Dr. Michael Bruce is life-changing. You read that and you're like, holy shit, that's why I feel that way? No. When you know I wake up at a certain time? Or like, that's why it's so much more difficult for me to wake up at this time versus yeah. the other one? Like, I thought I was just weak. That, like, that's something that, uh, big misconception, it's always kind of pissed me off because, um, now mind you, like, again, coming from that military background, and you've seen this, when I go deployment mode, motherfucker, I'll be up at 4 a.m. and I'll work till 10 p.m. Yeah. Like, I will go all day. And I will go on limited sleep and I will go, 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 and uh, good luck trying to stop me. But, you know, for me, my optimal sleep time is trying to go to bed about, you know, 10, 10 10.30 and getting up uh, optimally between 7.30 and 8.30 sometime. Mm -hmm. That is my optimal window that I've found over the years. Um, But you get these hardcore people that think like, oh, well, I get up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and uh, I, you know, I start my day and I do this and that. And it's like some people are very productive. Some people get a lot done. Mm-hmm. Others do it to kind of fuel their ego like they're getting something done. And maybe they're productive for those first few hours. And they maybe go to work and they're off at whatever, 2, 3, 4 o'clock, depending. And then they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. They're not productive after that. So just because you get up and, and you get going at 5 a.m. doesn't make you better than the person that gets up at 9 a.m., who could be getting just as much done. It's all about what you do with your time, which is, again, we'll get on another another time. But, um, you know, if you are that one that gets up at 5 a.m., are you going to bed at 8? No, you're probably going to bed at 10 or 11. You're getting five hours of sleep, four hours of sleep, and then think that you're recovering well? No. No. There are people who are genetically predisposed to being able to run on, like, five hours of sleep. Like that is an actual genetic predisposition. Mm-hmm. That and especially some down. people as they get older too. Yes. You know, need less sleep. And, and Their circadian like rhythm changes as you get older. Um, where a lot of kids up until like the teen years before you go through puberty are uh, what they call lions. Where mm-hmm. they, they go to bed pretty early and they wake up just like wide awake at like 5 a.m. Yeah. Um, and then you go in the teen and they switch over to wolf, which is more like that you stay up late and you get up late. Um, and as you get older. I was the wolf. <laughs> yeah, I was always so tired I never knew. Yeah, I was like I just wanted to go to bed as soon as I could and sleep as long as I could. Yeah. Um, but as you get older, like you start to revert back to that line, and you do need less sleep. Mm-hmm. And like there have been a lot of studies, and again, the book Power of When it talks about that. But 
outside of that and those people who are genetically predisposed to getting less sleep, you're probably compensating in some way, shape, or form, whether it's like extra coffee or other stimulants, in order to get you through only getting five, maybe six hours of sleep, going to bed late, waking up too early. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what that's doing to you. You can have a general conversation and say, like, oh, you're not going to recover very well. Mm-hmm. But you don't know until you realize what your own circadian rhythm is mm-hmm. because you don't know which part you're cutting off. The yeah. body goes through different hormonal and uh, neurotransmitter fluctuations uh, nervous system fluctuations throughout the day constantly yeah. and they're based on your internal clock your circadian rhythm and if you don't know which ones you're cutting off because you're getting up too early or going to bed too late and things like that you don't realize what kind of a detriment you're at and, and like me I, I found I found my optimal window by trial and error because mm-hmm. there was um, time periods where you know I, I would I am someone who likes to stay up naturally a little bit later now as I've gotten a little bit older I've, I've been able to backtrack that and again find that optimal window but um, I can remember like okay midnight 1230 and then try to sleep until like 930 10 o'clock realized okay that that's that's not my optimal window I was feeling too groggy it's hard to get my day going you know things like that so I slowly backed it up and, and found my my optimal window mm-hmm. now is it like that every night no there's times i do go to bed at you know 9 30 and then i wake up at 5 a.m ready to go yeah um and you know i pick and choose my battles do i go back and try to go back to sleep for a little bit or i just get up and go mm-hmm. you know and it kind of depends what i have that day and, and stuff like that but you have to try to uh, find your optimal window by trial and error and then sometimes you do need um this is one of the most overlooked things is there are sleep aids out there that will get you to sleep and there's methods out there that will get you to sleep Mm -hmm. to help you get on track with that window yeah and if that starts to work you can back those off or if you need them in for a little longer go ahead but that you know until you this comes back to what we talked about in the last episode until you have an idea of what is right because you're tracking it you don't know how to make accommodations Um, and what's interesting is that the more I look at different factors for tracking, the more I realize how much all of them complement and actually help one another. So if you know that you have to have a certain amount of macros for the day and you have your meals broken down and you know, well, I have to go to bed at say 10 o'clock in order to hit my circadian rhythm. Well, that that gives you power on when you're gonna eat and what you're gonna eat when. And if you realize that your sleep quality is actually improved by having like a little bit of carbohydrate before you go to sleep or a little bit of fat before you go to sleep or whatever it is, um, because there have been studies that show that you know keeping that digestion going to a certain extent with certain fuels has a benefit for some people for glycogen stores when they're sleeping. Um, like one of the things I've heard a lot about is that like if you're waking up around like 3, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, often it can be an adrenaline spike because your body starts to secrete cortisol because your glucose has dropped, your blood sugar's dropped, and your body's waking you up. You're like, hey, you're starving. Yep. Go get food. So, yeah. so nah, I've experienced yeah, that. Yeah, I experience it all the time. Why? Because I go through blood sugar like freaking crazy mm-hmm. for some reason. Um, and so you implement certain strategies. And so you say, all right, I'm going to have uh, like 40 grams of carbs right before bed because mm-hmm. that's going to help uh, keep up glycogen stores. Mm-hmm. throughout the night all right if that's the case how does that affect my macros for the rest of the day mm-hmm. and then what can i have that at that point mm-hmm. to help myself out 
well, how do you know that you need carbs that one day? Well, you've done the research to figure out that nutritionally, this is what you do well with in order to help out your sleep. So suddenly your nutrition is more on track. Your digestion is uh, more empowered. Mm-hmm. Your sleep quality is improved. So your recovery improves. Yeah. And that just increases overall motivation to do everything else. And I, you know, that's another thing where it's individual differences. There's people that go to bed better on on higher fats um there's people that go to to bed and and can eat carbs before bed some people um you know cause nightmares it'll keep them up to you know kind of wired too much uh, glucose too high uh some people have to avoid eating uh things that are heavy in sodium too close to bed because it'll jack their blood pressure up which will keep them up you know so it's all individual differences from there and you have to kind of figure out and that's why when i do people's nutrition i always tell them like you know, everyone I you are eating before bed. Every one of my clients does it, but I tell them like you need to figure out on your own which is better for you, and I explain why mm-hmm. on the carb side, the fat side, or mixing them both. You know, have um, a little bit of both and see how that works. Yeah. Also, so um, we won't get into all the foods before bed, but that's you know the basic concept so you can figure out your sleep. Again, if you're not tracking it. How can you figure out what does and doesn't work so that you can be more consistent in it? Yeah. Um, so coming back to the idea of uh, DOMS mm-hmm. and like using that as a measurement. So one of the things that I was reading recently, it was talking about the idea of local fatigue versus systemic fatigue, which I thought is a really interesting concept because it falls in line with uh, my use of recovery for tracking the different systems in the body on what is fatigued, how much strain is on that. Well, I don't like to use strain because that ends up sounding a lot like whoop, but the overall recovery deficit for those different things. Uh, The idea of the local fatigue is that particular muscle. So let's say you did a whole bunch of hamstring curls. Like you're going to have local fatigue on the hamstrings by doing that, but you might not have a massive uh, systemic fatigue, which is more of like a neurological yeah. fatigue. It's very like if you're doing squats or something right. like that, or deadlifting. Or, yeah. Um, and you, if you're if you're an athlete who's been lifting for a while, you start to notice that difference. Where you could come in and be like, "Oh my god, my legs are dead today. I'm not dead. Like I can do a workout, but maybe it has to be like an upper body workout going through because I feel pretty good. But man, my legs are sore. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're really shot. Versus the day where you come in and you're like, "I had squats." two days ago and I can't even think straight. It doesn't matter what you give me. I haven't yeah. done upper body or lower body for two days. I can't lift a weight. Yeah. It's just shot. That's, like, the, that's that prep mind. Yeah. <laughs> you come in, you're just in a fog. Yeah. That's the systemic fatigue. That's the neurological fatigue. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, I keyed in on this is because it resonates with how I like to track and quantify the overall recovery going through. But they talk about the differences in it and some of the physiological differences and what you have to do for that where the systemic fatigue, because it's neurological based, those are things that once again, you wanna have an influence on vagal tone because that's gonna be a a primary factor in influencing parasympathetic versus sympathetic. Mm -hmm. If you can drive sympathetic in the moment, you can overcome some of that systemic fatigue briefly you're still not going to feel good but you'll feel a little better for the moment Mm -hmm. it comes with a cost of you're going to be that much more fatigued afterward but if you had something that you just had to get done that's the way that you can do it um that comes with 
the warm-up and like quick dynamic movements. It comes with like breath work. Uh, you can have outside stimulants, which are going to drive you know adrenaline. Even if you took like something that was a, a neurostimulant, yeah. uh, something like that. Like caffeine-free sti- with, with yeah. a neurostimulant, yeah. Um, things like that, they're going to promote sympathetic. You'll feel a little better for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if you want to recover from that, that's where you have to have enough time for the body to go through a really strong parasympathetic state so that it has a chance to heal all of that. And part of that comes down to uh, cortisol sensitivity. So if you've been dumping cortisol into your system from having highly neurologically taxing exercises, like you need some time mm. to not have that in your system yeah. so you can build some sensitivity back to that. This, this is another thing um, which most of us have probably been through at some point. If you've ever been put on um, you know, prednisone or any kind of corticosteroid, yeah. Uh, and I found I found that out in uh, in the springtime, you know, pretty harshly. That it it's hard to recover. You feel terrible. You feel weak. Um, it is a shock to the body. Where you know my heart rate was jacked up all the time. My blood pressure was jacked up all the time, um, and that was from you know doctor putting me probably on a little bit too much. But um, that cortisol plays a huge role. Yeah, and at some point that's a. Uh a really interesting and fun conversation to eventually have. I mean, I mean, there are a ton of facets that mm-hmm. you can have with that conversation and how it relates to things and the way that people either abuse that or get that wrong. Um, and also ways that, you know, people get it right, but may not realize yeah. that they're getting it right. Um, but the idea of the systemic fatigue and the local fatigue, where in the local fatigue, you're looking at helping to, decrease the local inflammation that's going on in there you want to increase blood flow in the moment so like something like foam rolling is actually helpful in that way because what is foam rolling but a form of self-massage what is massage but a form of passive active recovery you are having someone manually take you through motion you're yeah. moving the muscle yeah. instead of like hopping on a stationary bike or going for a walk or getting on a treadmill or anything like that for your active recovery or hell doing yoga or ramwad you're having someone do it manually which means there's even less strain on the nervous system in the process of doing that unless they're doing like heavy tissue massage and that's a different conversation of picking like what type of massage you want to do as you're going through it but um, working on the, the local fatigue for the muscle is very different than working on a systemic fatigue for the nervous system. And I think people would hear that and they say, oh, I've experienced that before. I understand what he's saying. But until someone puts it in the words, you might not differentiate that. And so you're sitting there spending 30 minutes on a foam roller because your nervous system is shot and you're tired and your brain dead. And you're like, I'm trying to warm up. I'm trying to warm up. It's like, it's not going to work. No, it's not. Like you can't foam roll enough whether it's hard enough or fast enough or long enough to get that to happen because it's completely different. And when you're doing uh, anything for the local fatigue, for you know the DOMS that you might be experiencing, like movement is your friend and it doesn't matter what you take that might be a nervous system stimulation, you're not gonna get rid of DOMS in that moment. Why? Because they're two completely different things. This is a massive misconception. And like, without going on too much of a tangent, because I tend to, most of the research that goes into whether massage works is ridiculous. It's terrible. 
because there's no control on not a control group but there's no control on what they're doing for it yeah. It's like I was saying about this earlier in like preparation for and this. How, and how many advanced athletes are they running all those studies on too, which is kind of the other side of it. You know, so it's you might find a handful of studies here and there. And I'm not saying on this specific topic, but okay. Um, for example, when I was working with, um, you know, quick story from the the swimmer from Akron that was you know trying to qualify for her. Uh, national team in Spain or whatever yeah, yeah. And, and all this stuff um, when I was working with her there was a study I looked up where okay they actually actually used Olympians and with their body fat percentage and found the average body fat percentage and like caloric intake and stuff that I found that study okay cool but that's very rare that they use that high level right. athlete now the thing with them they didn't have to tweak anything all they did was find out what they already do yeah but a lot of high level athletes aren't willing to risk if we pulled in a bunch of high level athletes and said okay you're going to try this new method of recovery that might affect your training for the next three or four months how many of them are going to sign up for that so it's it gets hard to find Nada. yeah it gets hard yeah. to find the the proper uh, you know uh, group to run that on so it is and when you look at what they're doing for the massage, this is the part that bothers me the most because it has a lot of cascading effects on the perspective and the perception of soft tissue work from multiple practices. Um, but they don't have any regulation on what type of massage they're going to do. You have one person doing relaxation massage, which is doesn't mean anything other than it's just like slow and kind of low pressure. It could be anything. It could be uh, relaxation. I think. I think when people think of like recovery and think of like, oh, go to massage. That's what they're thinking of. Is relaxation. Like, yeah, yeah. They're not think. They're oh, I need to uh, get my muscles broken up, or they, that's the words they usually use. They don't understand how much goes into it and the different methods that are out there, right. and the different tools that are out there. So, or they have had a uh, sports massage. In the way that it's usually that marketed, term. yeah, sports massage. Okay, they've had a sports side. massage, um, and it's just deep tissue, yeah, uh, with some trigger point that's thrown in, and unfortunately, it's not technically wrong, mm-hmm. because it is one particular aspect of four uh, parts. There's four different parts when it comes to sports massage, and that's one of them. Is if you have a rehabilitative massage that you do at the at proper time, that could be the method that you use in order to have the rehabilitation effect. But within the studies, they'll have one person doing that, one person doing relaxation, and someone's doing Swedish, which is a little bit different. Um, and then they say, let's find out if it has an effect on their power output. Of course it's not. It's relaxation. And like, just because you technically may have removed some of the overall tension in the muscle and they can move better, you just decrease sympathetic tone. Mm-hmm. You, what did you think? It's like taking a nap and waking up and then being like, hey, let's see if your vertical jump improved. Of course it didn't. They're like, well, they're moving better. It's like they're moving more freely. That doesn't mean they're moving more explosively. Yeah. You're going through. And then they don't make the correlation between that and self uh, soft tissue work. So foam roller, lacrosse ball, uh, the Theragun. It's like the aspects that define sports massage for what it really is. And the fact that if you do something before you work out, it has to be very fast. It's very abrupt. It can be aggressive, but only to a certain extent so that you don't trigger certain reactions. But it's the speed of it that's the most important. It's jarring. It's supposed to be aggravating, actually. And then you have someone foam roll. They never go fast. 
No. You, people don't lacrosse or use a lacrosse ball for self-trigger point release in a fast and aggressive manner the way that you have to in order to get yourself ready for pre-workout. So you have these studies that look at it and they're like, oh, massage doesn't work for that. Well, of course it doesn't. It's like if someone came to you and they're like, I want to do powerlifting. I can hold 500 pounds on my back at the bottom of a squat. But, what I would, get, but I can't get it up. Yeah, what would you do with that information? Yeah. Like, can you come out of the squat with it? Like, what do you look like going down into it? What does the bottom of the squat look like? Can you press about it? Like, what about the other two lifts? Like, yeah. well, I've never deadlifted or done a bench before. It's like, yeah. there's so much information missing from that that you can't do anything with it. Yeah. It's like it's like the person that, oh, I rack pull 800 pounds. What do you pull from the floor? <laughs> That's what matters. I don't care how much you can rack. Well, I've never pulled from the floor. It's like, well, then we don't know how good you are. <laughs> yeah. it's like this yeah. isn't a measurement of anything. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's like until you have people understand the soft tissue aspect of it, you can't set up a good study. Mm-hmm. And until you set up a good study, I guess you can't really expect them to have any measurement of how good the recovery effect is except DOMS because they don't know what they're looking at. And so the perception of massage therapy is like, oh, it's good for helping out tension and it relaxes people. Well, yeah, because that's all you ever used it for. Yeah. Like you haven't used it to the extent that it should be used. There's a, this is a whole world of recovery that it can be used on. And I, I, I mean, personally, I think that, you know, the recovery aspect of everything we were talking about, that is the most underutilized um, thing that that people do for that are all around recovery in, in recovery aspect I mean like seeing massage therapists seeing people that um, you know some PTs things like that using the methods to recover that you guys typically use um, on the flip side of that I also feel that people will have an issue and they go see the wrong specialist yeah. for that issue if that makes sense so a lot of people oh, I'm just not moving right and they go to the chiropractor well that's that's not really the first place typically you should ever go to no. if you if you're moving if your movement's off but you know a lot of these places and I'm not knocking all chiropractors cuz I've been no, to some, no, no. some good ones but um you know, a lot of these places will throw the, the jargon out that you want to hear and they'll tell you, oh, you're, um, what's the classic thing that you're, uh, you're not in alignment or whatever. Yeah. You're, this is high. This is crooked. This is, you know, and they'll tell you 50 things that's wrong with your body so they can get you in for more sessions. Um, you know, we've seen it with uh, sports medicine doctors, you know, all, all these things. And not to knock them again, there are good ones out there, but you have to be careful with where you're going and, and understand why are you going what's the end goal and then find the specialist that's going to work for that the chiros that I refer to that I really trust are the ones that I know if I send someone to them and they say you're in like you have an asymmetry or an imbalance that's going on they're saying it because they know that relates to the current issue mm. and if they say anything else besides that it's like hey by the way you also have this going on with your upper back uh, would you like me to take care of that? They're willing to have the conversation that says, that has nothing to do with what's going on, but you're here. Would you mind if I yeah. help you take care of that? Uh, and if you want to continue getting, let's say the hips are misaligned in some way. Like if you want to get the hips taken care of, this is how long it'll take. If you want to get the upper back taken care of. But um, uh, Dr. C- uh, Corey Broomba up in Fairlawn is the guy that I try to refer to all the time. I- I've had the conversation with him multiple times 
where he's willing to say flat out, it's like, I can work on you, but this isn't your issue. Yeah. Like, he'll give the advice that is needed and he'll do what he can do, but he's willing to have the conversation that says, like, I can adjust you and it might do 10%, but what you really need is A, B, and C. And that's what, you know, you always appreciate those those people or even the PTs who you go see them and you go for a couple sessions and they say, like, look, there's not much more that I'm personally going to be able to do for you. You know, I think you're able to progress past this, you know, or they get them somewhat healthy and it's, all right, see you around. It's not, but some of them treat it almost as a, um, as a personal trainer type uh, gimmick that a lot of these people run is like, oh yeah, you need to come back and see me. Uh, I think we need, uh, you know, about eight weeks, you know, eight weeks up. Uh, You know, I think, I think you should do about 10 more sessions and it just keeps going like that forever. Actually, you know, these people have been going to a physical therapist for six months for something that should have been cured within six weeks. Yeah. You know, so. I mean, uh, the powerlifter who was working with you uh, a couple months ago, mm-hmm. they go to a, a physical therapist? Yeah, I believe it was a, a physical therapist and was it a sports medicine doctor there or a chiropractor there that worked as a team or something? Yeah. So yeah, but it was a team a, approach. Yeah, yeah. It was a. I believe a physical therapist that told her this. So I they get told going. like you need to stop lifting. Yeah. Um, you have this uh, severe asymmetry and strength and balance that's going yeah. on in the upper back. Like this is why your shoulder is always tweaked. It's going to take you know number of exercise or number of weeks to take care of and sessions and uh, like has her scared and buys into it. Mm. And then two weeks later says this is all you have to do. They like, do these exercises. I had this happen. As or she, the doctor is saying, you know, the doctor had the same thing happen, and they just did a bunch of blank. And so now the doctor is giving recommendations to you on what type of strength they need to do in order to take care of it. Not rehabilitative yeah. exercise. Yeah. No, there's like changing the strength program. Yeah, I think I think it was hey, just work your back three times yeah. a week. Not even what? like productive. <laughs> what? And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like a week after that, saying yeah, you'll be good. You can go back. Yeah, from whatever three weeks, two and a half weeks earlier to you should stop that movement altogether and you'll probably never do that movement again right. to a couple weeks later being cleared and then that person going and touching a PR like, two weeks later, three weeks later. Having so. a conference, I I am at fault that I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. when it comes to things because I want to respect them within like their profession. Yeah. So that conversation could have been had where you're saying something like, hey, I want you to take like a week to two weeks off. Let's just figure out, like really figure out what's going on. And in the meantime, if you want to do exercise, let's talk in, with your coach and see if we can figure out upper body exercises, some pulling exercises that would fit in the program, but we also know we're going to be beneficial to what you're dealing with. And then after two weeks, we have those exercises, we have an idea of the rehab process. Then we go back into it with a better concept. This is how many sessions I'd like to see you. Let's move forward. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I automatically have that level of optimism that they're going to be professional enough and competent enough to have that conversation. Unfortunately, that doesn't really seem to be the case most of the time. When, you know, for us from a training standpoint, we're always trying to optimize even our own time. So, you know, there might be someone that comes in that we kind of want to push them towards one-on-ones. Um, and after a certain amount of time, sure, the one-on-one help, it's going to be beneficial. Yeah. But we're also trying to understand that you have a budget. We want this to be a long-term yeah. thing. So we might cut you down. Hey, if we were working with you two or three times a week, hey, let's meet uh, 
one time a week or let's meet one every two weeks. Let's get you in a group training where you still have a little bit of an eye or hey, let's go to program and gym membership and then we'll check in with you. We'll have a session once a month. Yeah. You know, and it turns into that thing or else we would be sitting here constantly all day and sure, hey, we'll we'll take everyone's money from a business standpoint, but from an ethical standpoint, they don't really need that. No. And it, when why we're we're not wasting our time, but why we're spending all that time there, it, it's also going to limit the amount of people we can actually help. Yeah. Because um, there are a lot of people that, you know, all it takes is a program and, you know, video critique, and they're fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? After they understand the basics of what we teach them. Because it comes back to what we started talking about towards the beginning. was like you have to be able to clarify your needs mm-hmm. based on your goals yeah. and what resources you have. Yeah. And I think that that's a particular strength of ours is that we're willing to have that conversation. And you're right. Does that mean that we sometimes don't have as much, uh, we don't make as much off of people because we're willing to say to them, like, you don't need one-on-one service anymore. And I will say to someone, like, you don't need me to work on you for your recovery. Like, you need a chiropractor to do an adjustment or you, Mm. like... Or if they're coming, yeah, maybe they came to you, uh, you know... Two, three times a week for the first couple of weeks or something, three times a week. or You need me or, once a month. Yeah, once a month or I need to see you once every other week or something like that. Uh, I think that the big difference is we don't view people with uh, a dollar sign attached to them and think, well, how much money can we bleed out of each individual right. person? Uh, we just want to help providing quality to as many people as we can. Now, if that quality starts to come down, we're just not taking anyone else on. Right. And that's what we've always done is we'll cap if we think that our quality is, has dissipated or might have the chance of dissipating or we're just extremely busy with whatever outside things we have, mm-hmm. we cap it. We don't sit there and say, hey, okay, I'm going to need you with three sessions with day or two sessions with day in a week. You need four personal training sessions a week. Let's get you on nutrition. Um, then you know what? Let's let's throw this other thing in. Let's say we had a chiropractor. Oh, let's throw that in too yeah. and try to rack them up to $600 a month. You know, now, it's at the same time, have we worked with athletes where that is the plan? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you have some athletes who come in and are like they have such a high goal or they're at mm-hmm. such a high level. It's like yes, they, they need you need some serious management when it comes to the training and to the recovery, and this is what it looks like. And yeah, that has a pretty hefty price tag on it, mm-hmm. but that is reflective again one of the quality yeah. that we're able to provide, the amount of time that yeah. we're willing to give to that because you know stand by that quality. Yeah. But also but the size of the goal. And like we've done in the past, it's all about what phase you're in, you know, what uh, what's the most important thing at that time. So for example, when we have these, you know, we've had these higher level crossfitters in and we've had them work uh, with Dan or uh, We've had them work with Dan on their Olympic lifting and been in the club more than anything else with some maybe some strength accessories for me coming to see you, you know, and then it might flip to where, okay, we're going to go through more of a strength phase. We'll throw, you know, you need to be in the Olympic lifting, uh, seeing Dan two times a week or once a week or whatever. Yeah. And then you still need to continue to see Dan because your recovery is important. You yeah. Know? So I think just, again, micro or macro dosing, depending for each goal each individual person each uh, phase of their their program there that if we can all encompass that in a more of a microdose setting rather than you know what you need to do all that and hey i got supplements back here and buy five t-shirts and you know what i mean we don't we don't look at it that way so i think that's just a big difference here compared to you know other places so anyway that was my that was my rant on (laughs) 
on the money aspect of this fitness industry and how people, you know, people try to rip people off and it's just, it's just ridiculous. But, um, it is frustrating again, not to go on too much of a tangent with it to go down that road too much, but it is frustrating when from a professional standpoint, you understand the value of the product that you have to offer. You also understand the integrity with which you want to provide that value and realize that it is difficult to educate the general public on the difference between what we do and what others do when there's either less value, less integrity uh, to what they're providing, whether knowingly or unknowingly, because there are those people that like they think they're offering value mm-hmm. and they're just, they're not. Think, think of all those times person. that, you know, someone's came in, again, this is, say this most is for another podcast but all those times people have came in and right away their technique starts to get better whether it's olympic lifting you know just a simple squat or whatever mm-hmm. and it's and it's cues they've never heard before or they maybe they're you know decent out there and they start coming to see you and then oh things start clicking and everything starts moving right yep. you know and it's like it's hard to get people to understand again goes back to you might think that you're being coached well you might think you're going to a great therapist until mm-hmm. you actually go to a great one right so and i'll be the first to say i'm not the best therapist out there not the best coach out there um i think that i do a good job and i'm always trying to do a like a better job and learn like we will say that till we're blue in the face every single day yep. um but what i do know is that if someone comes to me and like at any point in time you will always get the best that i'm able to do at that moment yep and you come back to me in a year just like if you were to look a year ago from right now uh i hope that i'm doing an even better job but i'm never going to try to i'm never going to stop trying to give you my best at that moment i've, I've seen it on on your side of the different methods the different education the you know different things that we've done over the years and how that's progressed and how you've progressed to uh, putting out like different programs, different knowledge that not to yeah. say you might have not had it three years ago. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But that knowledge has progressed and now you full. you might have not said anything, but you kind of understood it. Now you fully understand it. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing with the people that have been. Thank you. With, with Dan, you know, same thing. He's 20 plus years coaching still. Still, he's not stuck in his old ways. No. He'll he'll find something new sometimes, or he'll talk to these other high-level coaches in the country and pick their brain or whatever. And it's the same with me. People have been with me, or some of my clients have been with me for five or six years, mm-hmm. you know, and some of them through various goals. And not long ago, you know, someone had said it, like, I've sat here and watched you grow and watched even your philosophy on some things change a little bit. Yeah. And that's the truth. But if you're not... If you're not willing to grow and you're stuck in your old ways, and especially if your old ways aren't really working, it's time to re-educate yourself. Yeah. So, um, anyway, is there anything else you wanted to touch on on recovery? Or I think we're about no. I think that pretty much wrapped it. up. Um, some upcoming things we do have: the USPA Iron Dog Three Powerlifting Meet at Unrivaled Strength on October third. We also have on November seventh the Live Large Fall Brawl Four, uh, both really good meets. So. Come on out if you're, you know, if you know someone's lifting. If you don't know someone that's lifting, it's always good to spectate, learn more, help the sport grow. Um, you can follow us on Spotify. Uh, we should be on iTunes here soon. 
and hopefully by the time you hear this we are and soundcloud also um, i know in the last episode we said we were going to do a q a uh, we had some trouble uploading to all these sites but now that we're getting going on that uh, i will post a q a hopefully here on tuesday so ask us some questions um, plan on the podcast to come out we're, we're thinking every wednesday or thursday you should start to see the podcast out again it depends on uh, how quick these guys decide to upload our content We'll keep you updated on that one as we're moving forward. Yeah, we'll start to get a rhythm for it. But, um, yeah, look out for that Q&A. Ask any question you want, uh, whether it's something on recovery, training, nutrition, life, business, um, just something personally about us. Whatever you guys want to ask, we'll get to it. Uh, But, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for today. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.